0: For little risk. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this. Ha! Welcome, everybody, to episode 80 of the Matt Jones podcast here on a Monday. We're taping this just so you know. Monday, about 3 o'clock. I'll say that because a lot of this information we're going to give you is about the election, which is tomorrow on Tuesday. So some of you listen to this over the course of two or three days. And if everything we say sounds stupid, you can just blame it on the fact that it was Monday at about three o'clock. But I'm joined by Joe Sonka, who is a writer for The Courier Journal and also a Pulitzer Prize winner, which is a new thing. And Joe, let me start by congratulating you. You know, for people in your field there is no bigger honor than winning the Pulitzer prize. What did that mean to you when you, when you had it, got it.
1: Still hasn't really sunk in on me, that that actually happened, but um, maybe a couple of years from now, it'll it'll sink in on me, but uh, it was, it was pretty mind blowing. Well, I mean, listen,
0: it was for the Matt Bevin pardon stuff, right?
1: Yes. Which, which was all the more interesting based on what he told them, what he told me about winning a Pulitzer uh well, no, tell that story.
0: That's a great story. So, you initially the story comes out. Matt Bevin has given pardons, and some of them have gone to people who are, you know, donors, and it was it was controversial. And then he he called you, and what did he say? So he, so of course, this is like
1: three or four days after we first start running these pardon stories, and they're running every day on the front page. And of course, Matt Bevin made a point of not speaking to me and not answering any questions for a year so. The thought that he would just call me out of the blue and talk to me for an hour was just, I, I just couldn't really believe it. Um, it's a long story if you want to hear the whole thing. It's well, pretty, I mean, I, the, the quote, <laughs> I really wanted the quote. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, he, he called me and he talked to me for an hour. He was surprisingly civil. He didn't call me names. He didn't like do all the things you, you uh, usually see him do with reporters until the very end um and of course he's defending all of his pardons and saying all these people are in completely innocent they were railroaded there's all this corruption and he gets to the end and he says like i tell you what if you if you really dig into my pardons dig into each and every one of them look into them i'm telling you you can win a pulitzer prize then he goes well maybe not you but someone with who could he was good at writing and researching.
0: What a jerk <laughs> statement. Like that's so, that's so him though, just to like oh, yeah. say oh, something yeah. like that and then just be a jerk. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which was like, he he held out for almost an entire hour and then he just couldn't help himself with that last one.
0: That's funny. Well, you did win. And uh, so for people who don't know, Joe is going to talk to us about the state of Kentucky politics before this big Senate race coming, but also Joe and I went to college together. We've known each other for a while. You've done this podcast before. Um, I always thought you were a good writer, liked you. I think you're the best person to follow for po- political news in Kentucky, at Joe Sonka. But you also were the first person who told me you thought Donald Trump would win. And you said that in like 2015 and you meant it and then it ended up being true. So you've got a pretty good record of predictions there.
1: Uh, Well, that was one.
0: <laughs> but that was one that- I mean, no I, just one. Got lucky or, I got lucky or unlucky, depending on your- No one was on your side. certainly not. I I, I mocked you and you ended up being right. So let's, let's start. I want to go over a few things. I want to go over what happened in Louisville for the last two or three weeks. And then I want to talk a little bit about the Senate race that is tomorrow. But I mean, the last three weeks have seen an unbelievable amount of news in Louisville with the, the protest on the Breonna Taylor and then the David McAtee killing police chief resigned Greg Fisher, the mayor, feels like has lost support across the board all amid a pandemic, yeah all amid a pandemic do you i mean it feels like to me the fundamentals of louisville, the entire government political scene have changed. I don't know if it'll be permanently, but certainly in the short term. do you agree with that
1: oh yeah i don't I think there's i think when you talk about Louisville, it'll be um Pre Brianna Taylor and post Brianna Taylor, probably. Um, you know, Craig Fisher won re election with what, like, he won by like 25%, maybe probably more than 25%. Um, and right now, that coalition that he built is not really there anymore. Um, you see a lot of people on the left basically calling on him to resign for the past two weeks. You've got people on the right calling for him to resign for like the exact opposite reason that he's not cracking yeah. down on protesters. So there's like, there's not much, um, there aren't many people still passionately defending Greg. It's either, you know, either people on the right or people on the left are taking shots at him. And, you know, I mean, say what, I mean, he, uh, it's basically also had, it just made it how much worse how much, so much worse, how he handled, this for the first week or so where he just refused to, he didn't meet with anyone. He was like hiding somewhere, he had no idea where he was. So, um, you know, a lot of mayors and a lot of leaders in cities were going out and talking to people protesting. Um, and he wasn't there, but you know, <laughs> peaceful protesters were getting shot with pepper bullets and, and tear gassed and that kind of set the, the tone for uh, the week to come in Louisville. And then you had um, the David McAtee shooting. Um, which is just it's just kind of mind-blowing that you have all these protests downtown and then all of a sudden you have um cops and the national guard descending on a place in the way out in the west and the west end because people are congregating and then you have people rushing a building and shooting pepper balls and just a kind of a mind-blowing decision uh to make there and of course that led to the to the death of david McAtee, and of course we'll we'll know much more about that as that gets further investigated but that's
0: Well let's go back just to the amazing decision. Let's go back to the Brianna Taylor thing. You know, they've now fired one of the three police officers, Brett Hankison. Um and but no criminal charges yet. That's in Daniel Cameron's office right now. Mm-hmm. Um are you getting a sense, I mean, obviously, I, I don't expect that you necessarily have sources within Daniel Cameron's office, but I, I sort of believe that the likely result of this is that these three officers are not charged. That's kind of my, and, and, and let me just say, I, that's not just me being pessimistic about the world. I actually think there's a legal argument that is going to make it difficult to charge them. What is your take on it?
1: Well, I'll just say that I'll be, I would be surprised if, if Cameron charge them. Um, And I'm not saying that based on any internal, you know, things that people have told me from his office or anything like that. But I would be surprised just based on, um, you know, the nature of how difficult it is in America to actually charge uh, police officers for for murder or any serious, serious crimes. Um, And, you know, especially in Cameron's case, Cameron was, you know, endorsed by Law enforcement, like just about every law enforcement group in the state, when he ran for attorney general, um, he's you know held himself up as an ally of prosecutors and police, and I think um, you know we'll we'll see what he does. But I think politically, uh, if you look at this coldly, politically, I, I guess I'd be surprised if Cameron actually actually filed charges like murder or something something that serious. Um, but I mean, we'll we'll let them do their investigation. We'll see. I I would just be surprised.
0: Brett Hankison, when they let him go, the letter said that you, you know, they had to give a reason for the dismissal and it said you showed extreme indifference to human life, which is an interesting phrasing of words because that is a phrasing of words that not only has meaning in terms of the context of firing an officer, it also has a legal meaning and it is the same words you would use for some form of a, Manslaughter charge or something like that been a while right. since I studied those codes, but it's one of those phrases you think right. that was intentional i I think they i
1: mean you would probably know better than me as someone who went to to Duke law school but um i and that was a really strongly worded letter in fact, it was a lot stronger than I thought it would be yeah um, i thought I thought it would just be the you know you've you've violated. Certain things you were supposed to do, and, and you know, by by the following the book, we have to we have to let you go. But that was that was about as scathing a letter as you could possibly possibly make. Um, so um, I, I don't know if I don't know if there's going to be you know manslaughter, murder, or no charge at all. But um, Based on that letter,
0: the letter was much stronger than I. It was interesting to me because there's apparently 22 shots that were taken. They said in that letter he took 10 of them, Mm -hmm. which would mean 12 between the other two. Right. It's odd to me that they would fire one, not fire the other two yet. Say Mm -hmm. extreme indifference to human life, which I think is a legal term at its core, and then. Part of me wondered, Joe, if it, this is what I felt cynically, and I don't know if this is true. But they felt like the police were like, "We got to do something" because these three officers are still being paid. Mm-hmm. Brett Hankison is has become known because of these other things, which are these allegations of these sexual uh, right. uh, assault issues. Do you think that maybe it's just hard for me to see how you de- how you how you go at, how you fire one and not the other two, unless he took all the shots, which he didn't i wonder if the past stuff had something to do with it do you, have you heard anything about that I, I, I would i would be guessing um i would All be right, guessing well, i don't want to make a guess yeah but I, <laughs> like, like i I don't
1: know if other two officers were were closer to um the shot that was fired from kenneth walker and he was just shooting wildly outside like i you know I, that's the investigation is going to find that out but i i would just be guessing
0: he did not they did not say this I, I will do it since you know Joe is a responsible journalist, so he has to be careful what to say. I do, I do wonder if they found out that his bullet was the one that hit her. Maybe that you know, maybe that's what that what's they what they well, found eight eight bullets, so there would have to be. And maybe if they were all eight his, that's why you have, I mean, I don't know, but that's why you might have, it's just odd to me that you would put one officer there and use that strong language, like you said, and Mm -hmm. then not with the other officers. It will be interesting to me when the investigation is over to find out that that dichotomy, because it has to be a strong one.
1: And we don't know who fired all the bullets that like went into the other apartment that like weren't, that they said that were just fired wildly. So maybe that was part of it.
0: Talk for people that are listening to this in the other parts of the state about the citizens of Louisville and their view of the police department in general. I mean, this is not, this isn't something that happened in a vacuum. This is something that, that did you feel like that it was just it was kind of waiting for a moment for there to be this frustration? I
1: mean, for probably the past 50 years, honestly. I mean, ever since like 19, since the 1960s when you had the first, uh, the first real race ride in 1968 you had um, you know huge racial tensions in the 1970s with uh, busing there um, you know I, I think there have been there have been incidents over in the years and it's just kind of been building and building and um, and you know you had what's happened in Louisville it's not just you know George it was George Floyd right on top of learning about Breonna Taylor and and then like right on top of that uh david mcatee so it ju- it's just been a uh cool it's been a, a bunch of different factors all combining at the same time to really bring everything to the surface and and we don't know where the, you know how this is going to play out you know over the next over the next few weeks few months we don't know what's going to happen with the officers and if there's no charges what's going to happen after that um but we're everyone's really uh really on edge i would say in the city right now
0: yeah. And I, I wonder about that. Okay. So let's, I mean, let's say the three officers end up not getting charged. Cause I, that to me is the most likely scenario. Probably the second most likely scenario is they only charge Hankison and use the language of the police thing for maybe a, a manslaughter charge or something like that. I'd be very surprised if all three of them get charged on some level, we're guessing but like, do you worry that we'll have another round of, not just protests, but the the issues we had if that happens? Or do you think time sort of will minimize, not minimize, but time will deflate the response a little?
1: If there are no charges, um, oh, I, I don't think anything will be deflated by then. I mean, whether that's two weeks or three weeks, I think everything that you've, all the emotions that you've seen over the past few weeks um i think those are going to come back and probably um uh, multiply those if, if there are no charges because i mean there, all, all of the protests and the marches it, it wasn't just around um you know having one officer fired they they wanted full accountability mm-hmm. um and and if you know, if they don't get um uh what they what they view as justice then i i think you're gonna see um You know the same thing happening um after that and you know what what form that takes um you know i don't know but it it could um it could be um you know we'll we'll see
0: yeah i i understand well let's talk about daniel cameron because i mean you know daniel cameron for the last year really was a story more as a political story right he's he's a former Protégé of Mitch McConnell, first African-American elected to a statewide office, young, Republican, handsome. Like, I mean, they're already, Donald Trump's tweeting he's going to be a national political star. I mean, he was almost sort of looked at more as the political figure than anything personal. And now all of a sudden he's the head law enforcement officer in the state. And, And you're talking to somebody who I've gotten to know him a little bit. I think he's a nice guy but he had almost no experience when he took the job. Like, no, not not even practice. He had no prosecutorial experience and very little experience practicing law. Now, all of a sudden, this is just in his lap. And you got Beyonce tweeting him. You got LeBron tweeting him. Like, all of a sudden, this kid, and he's 32 years old. This kid is in the center storm of one of the biggest decisions that's going to be made in this state in a long time. What do you know about him? What are you hearing? Maybe not about what he's going to decide, but just... What do you think about him being now this central figure in it?
1: Well, it shows the the it shows the power of having a really um, a really powerful mentor who, who wants you to, <laughs> wants you to be in the top law enforcement position in the state. I mean, uh, you know, McConnell is uh, McConnell basically just cleared the field the field for him um, in the in the AG race. He got one candidate out. Uh, I guess that was what, late uh, 2018 when Westerfield was going to run. He got him out there. And then, uh, you know, another state senator decided he was going to run too in in primary Cameron. And then all all of a sudden uh, Cameron, um, you know, all these dark money groups are putting in attack ads, just shooting him down, and uh, Cameron wins easily. Um, So, I mean, that's a a lot of, you know, Cameron will – it's a lot of the people who've kind of described Cameron or asked what he's like, they, they kind of, they lead their answer the same way I did by saying, well, he's, he's Mitch McConnell's, you know, appointed guy. Mm-hmm. And they tend to answer things like, well, well, what does McConnell want? Does McConnell want this? Does McConnell want that? And I don't think he's really identified, you know, identified himself to people as his own, um, you know, his own kind of uh, as an office holder who has his own yeah. priorities that people usually just think well mcconnell well, mcconnell wants this in this, situ- in this situation so you can expect cameron to probably do this so um so i don't know he's he's still kind of a still kind of an unknown to me in a lot of ways
0: yeah i mean i've spent a little time with him and he's he's hard to know a little bit and i this is going to be a defining decision maybe of his entire career his entire yeah. life and oh yeah it, and definitely we'll we'll know we'll we'll know a lot more about him after you know and it's interesting that, with both yeah. him and andy bashir and as well i guess we'll switch a little bit gears to andy bashir and the governor you know these dudes haven't even been in office very long and all of a sudden they get confronted with yeah. i mean with with an unbelievable set of circumstances and i think about andy bashir you know he had been in office three months and he gets, I would argue, the most difficult situation for a governor of Kentucky since the civil rights movement. When you combine the COVID and these protests, it feels like when he first started, he had universal support. It's gone down, I don't know if it's universal, but I still think he has certainly majority support and probably a high majority as he's had to make decisions that make a lot of people not happy How do you think he sort of navigated the whole COVID situation?
1: No, I think he had, I think he had uh, a lot of goodwill at the beginning. I think, um, I think a lot of that has eroded away. Um, You know, there used to be everyone would tune in at five o'clock to see Andy. And uh, if you look at the, the number of people watching, it's like, Going way, way down. There's, there's not a whole lot of people watching. Does he
0: still do uh, it? Little, I didn't know he still. did it. Yeah, he, okay. he doesn't do it
1: every day now. He doesn't. Okay. I think he's doing it like three days a week. Okay. But, um, but I think a lot of the the reason why some of that support is kind of waning away has to do with unemployment and what a mess it's been for for people trying to. Why do you want to explain being, to people you know, why
0: that's been such a mess? Because it's. I think it's hard for people to understand. Do you know why it got so so screwed up? Well, I think I think a lot of people
1: gave him the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt for the first month, maybe the first two months, because this was all this all landed in his lap. There were like twelve people processing unemployment claims, and then all of a sudden, sixty. You know, you've got yeah, yeah you've got like six hundred thousand people filing for unemployment in one week, and you have to process all of these. So. So I think for the first month or two, people gave him the benefit of the doubt because he's, he's got trying to hire more workers, then, you know, the system was, wasn't set up for taking this many people. But I think after like three months go by, and it still takes two months to, to speak to a human being to get a reply to an email to, to talk to a person. And meanwhile, your bills are piling up. I mean, that, that kind of thing, I think eventually you reach a point where you can't blame, you know, Matt Bevin for, for getting rid of uh, staff and offices on unemployment. Eventually you have to step up and say, okay, everything's messed up. We need to fix this now. And I think I think it kind of reached that point last week, basically, well, when, guess, when you I had have have those huge question. lines.
0: I have a different yeah. question, Did, what ha- do we know what happened? I mean, I I was told, and again, this is not official, I was kind of told through a source, that, part, that the people that were in that line, those people that have had forever, Mm-hmm. is that a lot of that problem was the people that applied those first couple days that maybe there was an error that caused the system to lose vast majorities of those because most of the people that didn't get it if you look at it are like first two-day filers have you heard anything like that i mean have you heard what went wrong not specifically i mean Bashir says that this is
1: basically a, a computer system that is basically like a decade old to begin with that it came in and then part of the reasons that they can't process claims is because if one person does one thing wrong then it's impossible to uh, fix it without a uh, a huge process Uh, that that involves a lot of time Uh, which I I mean I mean and that might be true um, but eventually you have to realize that okay we need to completely scrap what we're doing and try something new in and if you're you know if your bills are piling up and you've been waiting for 3 months on something that you've you filed
0: um, you don't really care about what Matt Bevan did in in 2018 I still think old people still really like Andy though <laughs> like it's a weird scenario i think maybe because they watch it you know what i mean on tv every day mm-hmm. but I'll be interested to see the next time there's like an approval rating thing come out because I yeah. still think it's probably pretty high, especially if being a Democrat in a Republican state. It's not mm-hmm. eighty or seventy, but I bet it's probably yeah. still high fifties or, or low sixties. Yeah, you may be
1: right. I, I think it might still be above fifty, which is saying a lot for a Democrat in in this yeah. state. I mean that would that would be pretty amazing to have over fifty percent approval almost put in this uh, state.
0: Let's switch gears for a second to the to the Senate race. So. I'm obviously an interested party in the U.S. Senate race. Oh, you? Yeah, really? And do you agree for, Matt? Well, I want to kind of walk with you through the whole thing. Okay, so I want to walk with you through the whole Booker-McGrath thing. And let's start with six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. It looked to me like Amy McGrath was going to win handily. I thought there would be more votes for Booker and Breuer than people thought, just kind of as a protest vote, sort of the way that Goforth got a lot of votes against Bevan. But I didn't think there was any chance anyone could win. I thought she'd probably get like 65 or 70 and the other two would split the others. Was that what you thought seven, eight weeks ago? Yeah, because I don't, I don't think anyone really, I mean, very
1: many people knew who Charles Booker was or Mike Breuer was. Um, you know, their name ID was like very, very low. We're talking like less than 20% of, you know, Democrats knew who they were. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just just based on that alone and the amount of money that McGrath was, was spending, I mean, I, I just didn't think it wasn't gonna be, it was gonna be any kind of contest at all. And, you know, and then uh, everything happens around late May and, and early June. Uh, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, David McAteean, you see, you know, and you see Charles Booker stepping up and and going right in the middle of that, and you know speaking his mind. And a lot of people said, "Well, that that guy looks like a leader. Um, you know, I like that guy." And and, and uh, a lot of people looked at Amy McGrath and was like, "Well, what what are you doing? Uh, I don't really hear from you." So, so yeah. I, I think I think that that was really the genesis of it. And during that same time, Booker's you know political donations went through the roof. So he actually had money to put ads on television. So now a lot of people are actually you know, seeing him for the first time, uh, people who don't you know, follow politics as closely as me and you, they, they see ads and you know, they see stuff online. And, um, and so, it, I mean, the only question I have right now on who wins is if that all happened too late, know, too late, yeah. too late for, for Booker to really- um, So if everybody
0: were it, to show up, let's just say that there had been no early voting. And let's say it was a normal process and everybody showed up tomorrow. Uh-huh. You think Charles Booker would win if that was the scenario? I don't know if he would
1: win, but it would be close. Um, okay. I, I think any time, I mean, any time a, a, a candidate spends as much as Amy McGrath has, it's almost impossible to lose. It is almost impossible to lose. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things, even though um, if you look at social media, uh, if you look at the energy and enthusiasm around candidates, you, you would think, well, bookers obviously going to win this thing but um if you look at just the amount of advertising mailers tv radio that she's put out there it's extremely hard to lose an election the only way you can lose an election is if is if people do not like you um and that's not sure the, that
0: people but, like her i mean i you know it's interesting on you mentioned radio she spends an absurd amount of money with my radio show like she buys like every if you listen on iheart If you're based in Kentucky, she buys every commercial break. So the entire commercial break is an an Amy McGrath ad.
1: Yeah. In Lexington, before um, 60 Minutes aired, uh, there was like two and a half minutes of ad time. And there were all three different Amy McGrath ads. Yeah, it is. It is
0: unbelievable. It's everywhere. Um, So what was the moment in this that you realized, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is a race. Was there a particular thing that happened that you were like, wow, this is real?
1: Yeah, when I was on, when I was on my last furlough, I guess it was the first week of June, it was getting to the end of that. And, you know, I, and I know Twitter isn't real life and and everything like that, but it it was just odd that every single person, uh, every person, it was a Democrat, like every single, like literally everyone was just talking about, was talking about Charles Booker. And I thought, well, you know, that's, I've, you know, I, I rarely kind of see that, especially in a race where, you know, um. He's kind of the underdog and, and no one expects him to really, um, uh, you know, compete with McGrath. It just got to like a crescendo and then you had everything happening um, in Louisville and you saw him stepping up and and people were, were praising him for that. And I was like, you know, this, this might actually be a race. That's why it was around that time I was like, hey, if there are any pollsters out there that want to, you know, mm-hmm. make some noise, look at Kentucky. You might actually find something interesting here. Because uh, I didn't know whether this was, you know, some kind of social media echo uh, chamber happening, or if um, if something was really uh, was really going on.
0: You know, I I was debating. I'll be honest. I don't think I've talked about this before, but I was trying to debate in my head whether or not I was going to. I mean, I always knew I was going to vote for him, but whether or not I was going you re- to. You s- regret not running now after seeing all this? No, because I, I I think it had to be. Him in that moment. I mean, there might have been a path for me to do it, but it wouldn't have been his path, right? Like, I I don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, he. history's when a man meets a moment. He was the man for that moment, not Mm -hmm. not me. Like, I I don't think people would have rallied. He he was
1: authentic. He was authentic in that moment where Matt Jones came. It's not going to be the same. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if I if
0: I'm out there, I think people would maybe give me more benefit of the doubt than Amy, but they still would be kind of looking at me like. Matt Jones is out here walking the streets of Louisville. Like it's a different, you know, it's just, yeah. it's yeah. a different thing. So I don't, I'm not saying there isn't a path I could have done, but it would have been that path. Right. But there came a point, I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to to sort of go public with it. Cause I've never done that in a local race. And it was that I ended up doing it on a Sunday and I decided on Friday I was gonna do it cause I was watching him speak outside. And I heard Amy's answer at that debate where she was mm-hmm. like, I actually think, to me, I was talking to the campaign, they have, they say there are four moments they think changed it. I don't know if they want me to say this, but I'll say it. Number one was when the legislators uh, endorsed them as a group, because it made like Kentucky people go, what's going on? Why would they all do that? Number two was the debate video where she didn't answer where she said, like, mm-hmm. I didn't protest because I was with my family or something. It, it wasn't a good answer. Not yeah. a good it answer. It did not look good.
1: It did not look good.
0: Number three were what they call the local endorsements. Me, the Herald, the Courier, kind of the, like, that's sort of like, okay, something's happening here. And then number four may have been the online boom that maybe culminated in her terrible tweet about health care and all, and all that. Yeah. That seems like a good run to me. And then nationally they got huge booms from Bernie and AOC helping them raise money. Does that feel like a good look of it to you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I think um, it was, it wasn't like an overnight thing. It was just, it was, it was kind of building over a matter of weeks. I think it was building a little, a little before everything happened in in Louisville. Um, I agree with that. that, I do think it it was coming. Yeah. Yeah, It it wasn't overnight. It it was, it was building a little bit. And then, and then that happened and he, it, you know, as I said, like everything that's happened over the past three weeks is a lot bigger than, you know, politics and electoral politics and elections. But if you look at it from that perspective, it was, it was just the the timing of it was, um, was just as he was starting to starting to take off.
0: George Floyd was killed, I believe on a Monday. I met with Charles the day before at Heine Brothers here in Louisville and said, what do you think if I endorsed you? And But I'll be honest with you, in my mind, I was thinking, Matt, you're gonna do this. It's not gonna make any difference, but like you're taking a stand for all the crap that she did Mm -hmm. (laughs) back in the day. And because I really believe in Charles. And then everything changed on that, on that Monday, Tuesday. And he really, to his credit, I thought did an excellent job of sort of, you know, the Louisville movement didn't have a face of a leader. I think Joe, yeah. I, I don't know that who it would have been. And it, he kind of was able to maybe not be the, the complete leader, but a face of it. Yeah. I, I think it is kind of a leaderless
1: movement still. I, yeah. I don't think Charles Booker is a leader of whatever's happening. in Louisville. I think he's definitely one of the leaders, um, who a lot of people think is authentic and, and mm-hmm. you know is someone to listen to, um, and someone who you know didn't you know go read a poll on what he should do yeah. when this was happening. global he just stepped up and did it. You know?
0: I've noticed his, and I'd be interested to see what you think because I've traveled with him, and I, I, I say that I think his strength is when he speaks to a crowd. I think because of what you're saying, his authenticity, the crowd is almost rooting for him. Like He's a good speaker, but he's not a dynamic speaker. He's not a take the crowd by the palm of his hand speaker. But I watch crowds watch him, and they're almost cheering him on. I think because that he's an authentic person, they want him to do well. So that's why I think I've seen a lot. That's sort of my notion of what his strength is. What do you think so, his he, strength is? So you saw, you, well, can
1: I ask you a question here? Of course, like, yeah. You, you traveled with him mm-hmm. um, in a lot of rural places, and the kind of crowds he got, do, do you think that those were kind of like the, the, you know, cause every County, even though it's a red County has, has liberal people in them who vote, but are they, do you think there are, uh, it's more than just those people that show up? It's yeah, like, I do. How, how do you think he's going to do I, in those rural areas? I think he's
0: going to do better than people think. Now, again, uh-huh. what, what I don't know is here's what we don't know. When I go to, when we go to Bowling Green and there's 250 people there, which is what it mm-hmm. was. Are those the 250 Charles Booker fans? I I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But I will say this that the 250 people that are there are passionate about him. They're not just there because it's the Democratic event and they aren't the regular folks. So part of the reason, Joe, I was going to introduce him is that the local officials are kind of hesitant to introduce him, right? They're not. So the local officials in these Audrey Hayden in, in Bardstown was there, but she may have been the only local Democrat official that really came out for him. I think the others are too scared. So I actually think it's a different crowd. I mean, I was saying this on the bus, these did not look like, you know, I haven't done a ton of local Democratic events, but I've done some and you kind of know the, the the blueprint of a county Democratic voter. That's not what this was. These were kids. These were, you know, we went, we went to uh, E-Town and, There were a lot of people in E-Town and a lot of young people. And I, so what I don't know is this is not the democratic establishment, but does that mean they're voting for McGrath and they didn't come? I just don't really know. But I do think he draws crowds, Joe, that are not your average go to a political rally crowd.
1: Right. Right. And I mean, I think the McGrath campaign, I think they assume that they're going to, clean up in most rural, rural areas because of the because of her name ID um, because they may think of her as more of a moderate Democrat and, and Democrats in rural areas are more moderate and you know they might be right they, they, they might be wrong uh, I wish there was more polling in this race mm-hmm, um, me too. independent polling in this race so that I could I could have an idea uh, you know we're, we're gonna find out soon, soon enough um, and you know if, if she does what, do well in rural areas um, you know that that could mean a win for her, or you know Louisville has record turnout, and uh, that they haven't seen since you know the Barack Obama primary in twenty eight, uh, two thousand eight, and there are so many votes there that, that Booker's able to uh, uh, go across the finish line and just barely, you know, beat her. So yeah, we're, we'll we'll find out.
0: I will say this: I've not seen a candidate in Kentucky draw the excitement out of yeah. crowds like he does i'm not i mean i i don't know what crowds allison grimes or or andy Bashir drew or you know I, I didn't really go with them but i'll tell you this i don't think they were as into it you know and mm-hmm. i and and was uh, it like ksr remote uh, you know what that's not a bad i'll tell you what that's not a bad sort of analogy because when people come to a ksr remote they're a fan of ours and they want to have a good time. They want to, so like, they laugh harder at our jokes than they really are funny because people want it to be good. You know what I mean? That's what I got with the sense with this, is people want, they want this to be real. And so they're into it. It's not an obligation to come see Charles. It's I'm excited to see Charles. Yeah. You know, you've been on a lot of rallies. Yeah, he does Luther, a selfie line Luther at is the a
1: uh, Booker is kind of a very different statewide democratic candidate than yeah. people are used to like, like Evelyn, Evelyn was pretty left last year, but not quite Booker, you know?
0: But I mean, but, when's Book- the last time you've been to a political rally where when it's over again, it's like a chaos R remote people stand in line to take selfies with Charles like that. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know that people did that with other ones maybe, but I, I've only, I've only seen that
1: with like Rand Paul, honestly. Okay. I can see Sanders. that. Yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, there are a lot of similarities and differences between that 2010, that first primary of Rand Paul against Trey Grayson, where he was the underdog running against the big party establishment. And and nobody thought he had a chance. And then on election day, he wins by 20 points. Uh, I don't know if Booker is going to necessarily do that because there are certain things that you know, Rand Paul had in his favor that Booker doesn't like. Rand Paul had his father's network. He had, you know, mm-hmm. he would go on Alex Jones's show and raise a bunch of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. before people knew who Alex Jones was. Um, so I don't know if it's going to be the same kind of thing. Um, but uh, but yeah. I, that that was that was probably the last primary where I saw like extreme amount of grassroots energy because every every Rand Paul event you went to in 2010. He was just packed full of excited really and, is know, that right republicans
0: yeah i could yeah. see that well all right so the argument you know joe biden won the democratic primary in part because he made the argument i got the best chance of beating trump and everybody wants to beat trump so much mm-hmm. all right well we'll just vote for him i think part of amy mcgrath's argument for a long time was i'm the candidate with the best chance to win these two far left guys broyer and booker can't win I just don't know if people believe that's true anymore. And if your argument is best chance to win, and people don't believe you can win, doesn't that hurt? You feel like that's happened at all?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, let's look at that last poll that came
1: out. And I don't know how reputable this poll is. It's a the Civics came out with a poll last week, mm-hmm. and they had, they've never polled statewide in Kentucky. Uh, they do they do pull a lot of races, but they pulled like. Kind of a funky kind of online methodology to it, and they found that um, you know they found Booker beating McGrath, but they also found McGrath losing by 20 points in a potential matchup with McConnell, and Booker you know losing by like 14 or so, so him doing better. And I don't know if that poll is complete garbage or, or yeah. if it's the real deal, but um, I I don't know of. I don't know of a lot of people that think mcgrath has a great chance of
0: winning against mcconnell no booker either honestly no i I don't don't know i don't think so but 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 think about it like this joe you what's the percentage vote you think trump gets this fall in kentucky oh i'd say um 60 say around 60 around 60 around 60. 60, so just for sake of numbers let's say 60. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody that goes to vote is going to vote in that race. Is that fair? I mean, you're not going to go vote this fall and not vote for president. Sure. So that means to win, you've got to find 10% of the people to vote Mm -hmm. Trump you. Right. I actually think, and maybe I'm crazy, there's an argument there are more Trump bookers than Trump McGrath at this point. Well, but McGrath, you know, McGrath said
1: she was there to protect Donald Trump from. Do you think that will be Mr. We'll block, blocking her agenda? I mean, if
0: she loses, will we look back at the first day as what did it to her?
1: I mean, it was the most ridiculous strategy. I, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, the strategy was basically saying like, like I think you're dumb. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> I think even her supporters like look back and say, yeah, that wasn't really good. But I mean, how? I mean, it's hard to look people in the eye and say. Yeah, Mitch McConnell's just blocking Donald Trump's agenda so much. I'm I'm going to be there to make sure he I, like. I mean, it's hard to make that argument on a straight face to people, and then have people like take you as being authentic and serious. Um, and that's why you you know she you stop making that argument after a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was an absurd argument. It does. But feel... it was her, it was her opening argument. That was. That was her debut appearance on national television. Do
0: you think they just took for granted they would have the nomination? So they were already doing their general election argument. Oh, definitely.
1: They 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 assumed. But isn't that that odd? Because
0: at that point when they did that, I hadn't decided. Rocky hadn't decided. Forget Breuer and Booker, who came along later. I mean, there were still people considering that makes it so arrogant. I, I think I think they knew that they were gonna have so much money that they were gonna scare you all out of the race. Okay. That Which it did, didn't it? <laughs> well, she didn't scare me out because of money. But I mean, but, but that was certainly part of it. I mean, there's a part of it that you sit there and you have to say, okay, what's your path to victory? You know, I encouraged Charles to run even if I ran because my theory was, look, there needs to be a progressive in the race. You can do it. You will have a forum that you can't buy. Go for it. Now, I have to tell you, Joe, I didn't think he'd have a chance to win. And I legitimately think he has a chance to win now. So it might be, if she loses, is it one of the all-time worst collapses of a candidate that you can think of? If you look at it
1: dollar for dollar, and I haven't had time. I was actually, this was on my to-do list of going back and seeing who was the, what was the the, um, the candidate to lose that had the biggest money advantage ever mm-hmm. in an American election. And I, I would have to think she would be in the running because she's yeah. raised over $40 million. Man. That's unbelievable. Forty million dollars, and in the first three months of this year, Booker raised like what, four hundred thousand, like four hundred thousand dollars or so. Something was less than that. I think it was three hundred thousand dollars in the first three months, and he he had less than a million dollars going into June first, I think. um So I mean, just a forty million to one advantage. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, I, I, you just don't see that in politics, and that's one of the reasons why. I'm thinking who's going to win this race. I keep going back to, well, I mean, the graph can't, she physically can't lose. You, you can't have that much money and spend that much money and lose. Um, you know,
0: Steve Bannon though, Joe, not to quote Steve Bannon in a democratic primary, but Steve Bannon makes a statement that I actually think is true that we've reached a point that because media is everywhere, Mm -hmm. maybe money doesn't matter exactly the same. You still have to find your, your, your stage. And if you don't find a stage, money matters. But if you can find a stage, it doesn't matter as much. Do you think that's plausible?
1: If McGrath loses, then uh, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think, I think you've proven that right there. Uh, I think money still matters in, you know, the very, very, very large majority of races. But I think I think it would show that uh, money can't buy everything. And if, if you know, the, the foundation of your campaign is, you know, uh, is, is a, you know, if you don't have any solid foundation to your campaign, then all the money in the world is not going to be able to save you. I think what I, I said a while ago is if the only reason that, uh, the only way that tons of money propping you up, um, you know, can fail is if people just generally don't, don't like you. Yeah. Um. And, and if all of your ads are are pro are you know, positive, like I'm a great person and it doesn't you know, it doesn't connect with people, then, you know, that's obviously, um, you
0: know, what's you know, interesting in when I hear any McGrath ad or any McGrath statement, most of it's about Mitch McConnell. Right. Like, I mean, her biggest yeah. argument is I am not Mitch McConnell. Yes. Booker is not like that like Booker can speak for 45 minutes and almost not even mention Mitch McConnell, his sort of, this is what I want to see happen. Rarely. Like I honestly, in the intros for Charles talk more about Mitch than he does in his speech. I actually think that's interesting because you, you, that was a good point. You said about what the foundation of your campaign is. I think her foundation has just been, well, I'm not him. And he has a foundation that's different than that and maybe that's why people gravitate to it.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe or or um, this is all wrong and McGrath is going to win by you know 15 points. So what's the most likely scenario <laughs> then?
0: like so let's let's if if all right let me give you let me give you th- five scenarios which one's most likely McGrath wins by a lot. McGrath win, wins by little. it's mi- like almost tied Booker by little. Booker by a lot. What's the most likely scenario? What's the least likely to you? Uh,
1: I I'll, let's see, I'll give you the the two uh, the two most likely. Okay. I don't know which one it'll be. The the two most likely one of these two. It will be you know McGrath wins by a small kind of kind of embarrassing amount, but she she moves on to the general against McConnell. Two is um, it's close. Ballots aren't counted for another week and there are legal challenges for the next two months over who's the democratic nominee to, uh, to take,
0: over. you see a close race then kind of,
1: you don't yeah, see a yeah. scenario. I don't, where I don't see a
0: yeah. I, I don't see a
1: blow. And I, I think it'll be close. I, I think, I think one of the reasons why I tend to still think that, still think that probably McGrath is going to win is that so many people sent in their absentee ballots early before all this happened. Yeah. Like, like, like my, I'll give the example. I'll embarrass her here, but my, my mother uh, is a Democrat, registered Democrat. She got her absentee ballot, like as soon as possible, right as well, sent it back in like the next day with McGrath. And you know, then fast forward like a month later, she's like, Oh, I really wish I would have voted for
0: I think people believe, I think there's, I think there are a lot of those people. I think from what I've heard, sort of some internal numbers, there are people that believe that those people like your mom went like 80% for McGrath. Those like, early, early's the like, I got to get it in as quickly as possible. And I, that, I would, I would probably believe that. Yeah. And that could be, that could be too much. I will say, you know, I spent the day with McGrath's campaign. It's or excuse me with uh, Booker's campaign. What's interesting about it, Joe, that would be I, something to
1: be spent the day with McGrath's campaign.
0: That's unlikely to happen. Um, it, it's striking when you're around them, a couple things, how young they are, mm-hmm. how they're drinking from a water hose, like meaning like, this just Mm kind of all hit them and it's like they're not they're barely like they're hanging on for dear life you know i feel i I don't i don't mean to like um
1: i don't mean this to like criticize them or diminish what they've done but i feel like they're kind of like riding this wave that you know (coughs) they might not have created but it's kind of Mm -hmm. it's kind of taken over and and pushed them this far um because I don't I don't I don't think even I'm not sure if even they would have expected this like a month ago. No,
0: I don't think yeah. so. But you know, here's the thing, and they brought in a couple national people that I actually think are really smart, like I got to know them a little bit on the thing. But here's the thing, they're 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 like kind of again, drinking from a water hose. But <clears throat> I think in some ways their lack of sort of normal political thought process, thought excuse me, thought process has helped them. Mm-hmm. Like as McGrath's people are so political and they're a little different, I actually think that contrast has kind of worked for him. you know, maybe in the way it did for Trump and the Republican. I, I was about era. to say that. Yeah. That, that was I mean, one of the think? reasons
1: why, that, that was one of the reasons I think I, I talked to you in 2015 was that um, he just, he, every politician had become a series of talking points and they were all saying the same thing and he was saying something different. It was something, you know, completely whatever (laughs) (laughs) but it was different and and, and it kept people's it got people's attention and they actually listened to them because they weren't quite sure what he was going to say it wasn't going to be talking point a followed by talking point b
0: Uh, you'd be surprised how many people in the mountains that i talk to or that are ksr fans are republicans and are like you know i might vote for charles book in the fall now i don't know if they will but it's just that they, that they like that difference about him because the thing they like the least about Mitch is what you just said, that sort of, he's he is the epitome of politicians politician. And, you know, we'll see. Um, all right, so before I let you go, Biden-Trump, what is your, well, I'm sure I'll have you on again before the general election, but where are you on that? It, it looks really good for Joe Biden. Do, do you think it stays like that? I, I'm not
1: I'm not ready to make that prediction that I made I made last time. I, I really do I'm really still not quite sure what's going what's going to happen. Um it's like we have a new, you know, historic event happening every month or That's two now. Truth. So whatever the next catastrophic historic event is in, you know, August is gonna probably determine the winner. Mm-hmm. So um too soon to tell for me.
0: If Matt Bevan was sort of an indicator to the country of Donald Trump coming. Then that, then that would mean Biden, right? If yeah, well, because Andy, if we follow, Bashir, yeah. Andy Bashir in a lot of ways was like, okay, we don't want any more of that. It's just too much. Let's get yeah. some boring guy in here. Well, right. isn't that Joe Biden? I mean, isn't that kind of the same thing?
1: Right. Yeah, that's kind of the, the America one year behind Kentucky model that's worked since uh, <laughs> 2014, 2015, I guess.
0: Yeah. yeah, we are certainly, well, let, let me uh, finish by saying, just on a personal level, congrats on the Pulitzer Prize. It's well-deserved, but I also want to just say, congrats on what you ha- have built up. I mean this when I say that people tell me that they get all their political news kind of from following your Twitter account. And I knew when you were working for these alternative you know, organizations and kind of grinding, I'm really proud of you, like of what you've accomplished and you got to be happy about it.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Matt. Um... And yeah, I. It's kind of hard to believe sometimes where I'm at, but uh, keep keep this going as long as I can. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming.
0: Send
1: lawyers, guns, and money. Hey! Send